Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 11:30 through 40. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell Gideon, Brock, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put forgiven armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so they might raise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, in mountains, in the dens of and caves of the earth. And these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect, the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but I think we should give a hand to those two kids and reading scripture today. That was... That was really awesome. Hey, good morning to all of you on this cold day. So we've got a lot of people that are um, our high school students, and all of our youth leadership team are away for a weekend retreat with some other churches. And uh, I thought that because we're all gathered here this morning, I wonder if we could just take a minute and pray for our high school students and their leaders as they're away at Camp Kalakwa in all this cold weather. Would you bow and join me in prayer? Lord, we're uh, so thankful for the work that's being done with our high school students. We're, we know that every student whose family made a decision for them to go this weekend, that you know them, that you know what you're doing in their heart, and that a weekend like this can be very significant for them. So we pray for all the students, all the guys and girls that are there, the high school students, as well as the many youth volunteers from our church that, walk, that work, work alongside Mark and Lydia. We just wanna pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, empower them, and that you would do great things this weekend in their hearts. We look forward to what you'll do. We also thank you for this scripture, this inspired word of scripture for us this morning. So we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take this word, make it come alive to us, make it come alive in our hearts, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Sarah, that game was amazing. I cannot believe how you can think on your feet and all you people back in, back in the back that made it work. It's great to have the uh, Splash Kids with us today, so all the kids, uh, I really wanna welcome you and really glad that you're here to be a part of this service. 
Who knows what is the vision of Splash? I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. It's not part of the game, but the vision of Splash is for kids to fall in love with God's story and to find their place in it. To fall in love with God's story and to find their place in it. This morning, all the adults that are here, you look around this room, you see old and young, you see kids, you see all kinds of people in this room, people at different stages in their faith journey. You see, you see people that um, have great jobs and are doing well. You see other people that are struggling financially. You see people in this room for whom their life is working well. For others in this room, you see people that are going through struggles, many of them private struggles. You look around this room, and this is a faith community. And one of the things that we wanna do for all of us this morning, every single one of us, is to, to fall in love with God's story and to find our place in it. I want to begin with a little story of my own. The year was 1962. I was nine years old at the time, but don't bother to calculate like how old I am right now. But anyway, it, the year was 1962. I lived in Dallas, Texas with my family. My dad was an auditor, he was a CPA, he was a bookkeeper. And on one occasion, my dad took me to a bowling alley where he was the bookkeeper for the business side of that bowling alley. And he introduced me to the owner of the bowling alley. You know who it was? It was my favorite baseball player of all time. It was one of the greatest baseball players of the 20th century. He was my idol growing up, he was my hero, and my dad actually was the bookkeeper for him at this bowling alley in Dallas. His name was Mickey Mantle, one of the greatest baseball players of the 20th century of all time. And I'll never forget that moment when I shook Mickey Mantle's hand, he leaned over and he gave me an eight and a half by 11 black and white photograph that he signed for me of him kneeling in the batter's box at Yankee Stadium. And I'll never forget that moment when I met Mickey Mantle, when I met somebody who was an all-star somebody who ended up being in Baseball's Hall of Fame. Baseball's Hall of Fame uh, is, is a place that recognizes the greatest baseball players of all history. So it's Mickey Mantle, it's Willie Mays, it's Ty Cobb, and there's all sorts of history and all sorts of emotion and all sorts of value in Baseball's Hall of Fame. And the reason I share with you that story of meeting Mickey Mantle as I talk about baseball's Hall of Fame is that Hebrews 11, this is the fifth week that we are in Hebrews 11, we are wrapping up the chapter, and this is God's Hall of Fame. We refer to it as God's Hall of Faith. And uh, when I go to Yankee Stadium, if I go to a Yankees ball game, out in the outfield, they have a, an area called Monument Park. And I can go out in Monument Park and I can walk among the monuments, these memorials that were raised to people like Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and all of these Hall of Famers that were New York Yankees. I can walk among Monument Park. And it stirs up all kinds of emotion and all kinds of memories. Well, Hebrews 11 is God's Monument Park. 
And what we've been doing is we have been strolling among the monuments and we have understood faith from these monuments. We have thought back on the stories of people. Do you remember? We talked about, uh, we talked about uh, Abel, we talked about Enoch, we talked about Noah, we talked about Abraham. The passage goes through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Then we spent two weeks on the life of Moses and we went through all of these people and we were walking among the monuments in God's Monument Park. And so we're going to conclude that this morning and we're gonna walk among some other monuments. As, you read, as we read that passage of scripture today, you saw some other names. And we're gonna see what we can learn today about the topic of faith. Hebrews 11, 20 through 30. Now before I get to the two points that I have in my sermon this morning, I wanna make a, a couple of observations to you. As you looked at these, uh, we walked among the monuments. As you look at those people, you see that many were involved in conquering, there was conquest. And one of the things we understand from the scriptures is that there is good and evil in the world. There is a cosmic struggle between good and evil. So some of these people in, this, uh, in God's monument park were victorious over evil. You see that with, for example, the Battle of Jericho. You see people that were victorious over evil. But you also see people who suffered under the presence of evil. You're gonna see that there are two parts to this, this passage of scripture that we read this morning. Those who were victorious over evil but also those who persevered and suffered under evil. So that's one of the things we get from this, just by way of introduction, is that there is good and evil in the world, and there is good and evil in the world today. You and I are involved in a similar struggle between good and evil, whether it's in our hearts or whether it's all around the world. Second thing that you see, though, as you look through this passage, did you notice some of the names? There was Rahab. She was a woman of the night. There was David who committed adultery, was responsible for, the, for a murder, King David. You had people, uh, people with all sorts, you had Samson. Samson was a very muscular guy. He was a very strong guy, but he gave up his strength because he fell into moral failure. And so one of the things you see here is that these are flawed heroes in this story. Now God didn't let them stay there. God disciplined them, God worked in their hearts, but these were flawed heroes. I believe that that reality should be an encouragement to everyone in this room because when you walk into a church, you might look around you and not be aware of the fact that everybody in this room is what Martin Luther called a sinner saint. We move forward together as sinners. And you should realize, because all of us are very aware of our failings, all of us are aware that we are flawed. And so this story, God's monument park, if you will, is made up of people, heroes, who were flawed heroes. It's an interesting thing for you children to think about and to be aware of, that some of the heroes of the Bible are flawed heroes. So you got this epic struggle between good and evil. You've got these heroes, but they are flawed heroes. When I think about flawed heroes, I think about the story that I heard one time about little Johnny that went to church with his parents. 
And after church, they were driving home and Johnny just had this sad look on his face. So his dad looked at Johnny's face and said, Johnny, why are you sad? We were just in church. And Johnny replied to his father. He said, well, dad, I remember the preacher said today that I want all of you children in this church to grow up in a fine Christian home. And his dad looked back at Johnny and said, well, Johnny, what was wrong with that? Why would that make you sad? And Johnny said, well, I kind of wanted to grow up with you guys. <laughs> flaws, there are flaws in people. These were flawed saints. The last thing that I want to share with you that's just a preliminary observation that we get from this passage did you notice all the parts that says there were people tortured, sawn into, destitute? How in the world did these failures make it into this monument park of the Bible? There was all these people who suffered and suffered badly. Really, really hard and sad stories. So the third thing that I want you to remember that you should always take with you from this passage is that the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Now, I was talking to someone recently because occasionally I'll make reference to the prosperity gospel, and it's easy to, for me to assume that all of us in this room are aware of what the prosperity gospel is. But in case you don't know, it's also known as health and wealth theology. In other words, if I follow God, if I do the right things, life will work. If I follow God and do the right things, and I'm a person of faith, I will be wealthy. I will get my prayers answered every time I pray for a parking space. I will never have bad health. I will always, God will always answer my prayers and God wants me to be successful. In central Florida where we live, in Orlando where we live, that is often expressed in a, a type of consumer Christianity where I need God to make me happy. I need God to serve me. I need all these things to happen to me. And make no mistake, you and I fall into that because we're Americans. We're in a country where stuff works. But all you have to do is go to countries like Algeria, countries like China, countries in the Middle East, certain parts of the world where this prosperity gospel, it doesn't work the same way for them. We are the recipients of religious freedom. We are the recipients of a great economy. We're the most prosper prosperous people in the world. But you need to know that in light of history, we are an exception. In light of what's happening around the world, we are an exception. And one of the risks is if you put your hope in the prosperity gospel, but God doesn't come through for you. You get cancer, you go through suffering, you lose your job, you lose a relationship, you start to blame God, you start to believe that Christianity is not true. Hebrews 11 puts it differently. Hebrews 11 says that people of faith will win great victories, but people of faith will also persevere in the midst of suffering. So never forget that from this story and from this passage. And I don't even mind telling the children here about that. You kids are listening in on an adult conversation about real stuff that happens in the world, and I want you to know that by the end of this talk, you should be more hopeful and feel more safe in following God than you ever imagined. But as you grow up, you need to realize that we live in a world of flawed heroes and that hard things sometimes do happen to people. And as Molly and, as I, Molly and I raised, raised our children, one of the things we wanted to do is help them integrate their faith with the realities of the world. And Hebrews 11, 30 to 40 does that for us. 
Well, with all that introductory material, just to kind of set the stage, let's talk about a couple things from this text that I believe that we can take with us. Remember, the goal of this sermon is for everybody in this room to find your place in God's larger story, to fall in love with God's story and to find your place in it. So here's the first point this morning that we wanna talk about, and that is, here it is, faith is victorious by God's power. Faith is victorious by God's power. So let's take a little bit of a walk through Monument Park right now because there are names mentioned here that are emblematic, that, are, that represent this reality that faith is victorious by God's power. For example, you get to the story of Jericho, the story of when the people marched around Jericho seven times and God said to take Jericho and the walls fell down miraculously. Faith wins victories by God's power. There was a mention there of Rahab. Rahab was a woman of the night. But when the spies came from Israel into Jericho, she took them into her home because she trusted in God. And she was part of that, that great spy story from the book of Joshua when the walls came down. And you go to other people here. For example, we walk around Monument Park. You can just picture these different monuments and names of people that are honored in this park and God's Faith Hall of Fame. And you come to Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon? Gideon was outnumbered by the Midianite armies that were seeking to conquer Israel. And one day God called him to go and take on Midian. And he was a weak person. He was fearful. All he had was 300 men. He had this big army, but he whittled it down to 300 men in this army. But God gave him instructions for taking on a much larger army, and faith won a great victory by God's power over the Midianites. You go further through this story. You see, look at David. You look at Samson. You look at all these other people. And then you come to did you see the part in there about uh, by faith they shut the mouths of lions? Who do you think that's talking about? That's talking about Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was, was the whole entire government was against him and he was thrown into the lion's den and, but the lions didn't eat him. They were supposed to eat him up. There was another passage in there about overcoming the power of the fire. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These great stories in there. So faith wins great victories. Now, some of you are saying, well, Mike, I just wish I could have a faith that won great victories. What does that look like for Lake Baldwin Church? What does that look like for my life? Well, the first thing I want you to do is get up at a high level. I want you to think about what God is doing around the world. Often as Americans, we are insular and we're not aware of things. So for example, this morning, I, could, I was riveted by the men's final of the Australian Open tennis. Now not all you were into that, but I was just riveted by the outcome of that. I texted a friend of mine and I said, do you see what is happening? Oh, the drama of the Australian Open. And my friend texted me back and said, don't tell me. I haven't watched any of it yet. They're recording it. That may be true of some of you. Spoiler alert. No, just kidding. I'm not going to say what happened. But it was, it was amazing. So we get excited about certain things. But heaven 
the angels get excited about what God is doing all around the world. So have we ever seen walls come down? Now I realize this was before the time of a lot of you kids and a lot of you older kids that are in here. But in 1987, I got this prayer calendar. And this was the time where the Cold War was going on. This was the time where the Soviet Union, which is now modern day Russia, was, uh, was keeping the gospel out keeping freedom out from the country. And in 1987, there was a prayer calendar that was published around the world where Christians could pray for the, a new leader in the Soviet Union by the name of Mikhail Gorbachev. And it was just a, little, a few years after that that the Iron Curtain came down, that the walls came down. And it wasn't just about the political freedom or the economic freedom that came in during the 1990s in the former Soviet Union. But what happened is that Christians finally had to go in and preach the gospel. And so when they get th got there, they found people whose souls were hungry and empty and wanting the gospel. I know what that was like. I was there three times in the former Soviet Republic of Moldova to go there first before the wall came down and then two times after the wall came down, speaking in classrooms, speaking to these students who for the first time in their life were, were able to hear God's word and hear the gospel and to learn about the Bible and to encounter the hunger that was there. That was a work of God. That is faith seeing great victories by the power of God. Give you another example, in the, in, the, uh, in the Muslim world, you probably know there is a lot of resistance to the gospel that's there. But the gospel is powerful, the gospel is not defeated. So several years ago, we sent a young person from our church to participate in a mission trip in Athens, Greece. Her name was Hannah Rader, uh, so Todd and Patty Rader's daughter. Hannah Rader went, was a part of this mission trip in Athens, Greece, and while there, there were these refugee camps in Greece, and they had the opportunity as part of this ministry to go in and to work with these ref refugees, many of them from Muslim countries. And one of the things that happened over there, and I'd always heard these stories, that Muslims were seeing visions of Jesus Christ. And, but I'd never really talked to anybody who had said that that was true or that that had happened. Well, Hannah was in a refugee camp. She got to share the gospel with people who came and said, I had a vision, and then she got to explain who the vision was about. Pretty incredible. And she got up in front of our church and she shared about that. Do you know that one of the places in the world where the gospel is spreading most rapidly right now is in the nation of Iran? You see, the gospel is not defeated. The gospel is not stopped. The same is true in China. Over the last couple of decades, that huge nation of over one billion people has opened up. And it's my understanding that at the grassroots level, through the house churches and all that's gone on, there are more believers in China than there are in America. The gospel is unstoppable. Now, that's at a global scale. That's at a global scale. But when we look around our room, when we look around our church, there are people who are finding their place in God's story, taking steps of faith. It's happening this weekend at the high school retreat. It happens in Splash all the time. Many of you serve in Splash. And it happens in individual lives where we are praying for each other, where we're praying for things that are happening in the church. But I wanna tell you one really cool story of an incredible victory. If we walk through Monument Park, 
We go back earlier in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it was ahead of the passage that we read today, and there's this cryptic comment about Joseph. If you go to the book of Genesis, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but then you had Joseph. His story is found in Genesis 37 through 50. Hebrews 11 talks about a moment in Joseph's life where it says that he gave orders concerning his bones. He was in Egypt, but he had a promise from God that his people would be in the promised land. And it says that he gave orders concerning his bones. What that meant was when God brought them out of Egypt, delivered them from Egypt under Moses, brought them through the wilderness wanderings, brought them through Jericho, and they entered into the land, he gave orders for his bones to be buried in the land. And it says that he did that by faith. It wasn't sight, it was faith, and he gave orders concerning his bones. And I, I, when I think about that story, I think about something that happened about two or three years before Lake Baldwin Church got started. You see, there were people in this community, this is part of our story, part of what we'll celebrate next Sunday, there were people in this community who noticed that there would be 12,000 people moving into Baldwin Park, which is a formal naval training center, and that, that Baldwin Park could be the hub of a gospel-centered church that could influence other parts of the city. And so they would walk around and they would prayer walk by faith. They were praying because prayer is one of the ways that you tap in to God's power. So the people that started this church believed in prayer and they continued to believe in prayer as the way for us to access God's power. So they would pray. But there was a guy named Jim Cunningham who was part of that group and one day, Jim looked at Glenridge Middle School as a location, potential worship location for Lake Baldwin Church. It's where we used to worship. But before the church ever existed, Jim went in and he reserved the church and he put money down all before the church ever existed, before he knew any of you in this room, before he ever knew Molly and me, before he knew anybody else, Jim Cunningham put, reserved that place by faith and it's as if Jim gave orders, not concerning his bones, but concerning his money and concerning setting up a place for worship for a place that would exist in the future. And throughout the last 16 years, there are many people like Jim, ordinary people, not pastors, not staff, ordinary people taking steps of faith because they believe in the kingdom of God, they believe in the power of God, and if you look around this room, if you look at the history of Lake Baldwin Church, if you look at our milestones, you will realize that faith wins victories by God's power. One last thought about that. If you wanna just see current stories of that, look at your copy of Backstory for 2021. Look back over the past year. Some really hard things about the year, but also some amazing stories of God winning victories and backstory. If you didn't get it, I think it might still be on the welcome table in the back. All right, there's a second point in this passage, and I could go on about that first point about how faith wins victories, but it wouldn't be the total story. I would not be faithful to the scriptures if I didn't tell you about some of the other parts of Monument Park. And so the second thing I want you to take away from this passage, if you're gonna find your place in God's story, you need to know this, is that faith not only wins victories by God's power, but faith perseveres through suffering by God's power. Faith 
perseveres through suffering by God's power. I want you to look back at that passage. You've got it in your bulletin, Hebrews chapter 11. It turns this weird, this interesting corner in verse 35. It says, women received back their dead by resurrection. That was during the time of Elijah and Elisha. But look at the next phrase. It just, it just turns this corner. It says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Well, there are people around the world today who are being tortured, and this refers to people who are being tortured, the people of God. Look at verse 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Well, the early readers of the book of Hebrews, when they, you know, they would read this stuff, if you go to Hebrews chapter 13, there were contemporary Christians in the first century who were reading the book of Hebrews. They were finding their place in God's story, just like you and I are, and some of them were in prison. They were in a Roman prison. They were being suffering persecution at that time from the Roman government, and the persecution of Nero was on the way, and so the writer to the Hebrews is preparing them for hard times. He says, there have been times in history where the prophets have suffered torture and they have been imprisoned. And you see this happening. You see churches being closed in Algeria. You see churches being attacked in China. You see places in the world where Christianity is under attack and there are people who suffer. There are things that could happen in this country that we would need to be prepared for. It says in verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. I like, I never thought, that is just awful. Some people believe that that one about being sawn in two goes back to how Isaiah the prophet died, that Manasseh the king sawed him in two. Sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. In other words, they were, they were just not having any of the security and safety that we have. They were destitute. What's going on in that passage? Well, there's no prosperity gospel there, as we've already said. But what the writer is saying is that there were people of faith who persevered through suffering by God's power. Now you and I, we are consumers, we are Americans, we long for a prosperity gospel, but if you take it a level deeper, if you talk to some of the older people in this room, you will talk to people who have suffered, you will talk to people who have gone through some really hard times, and the same is true of some of the middle-aged people and younger people, there are things that happen that we are not prepared for, but faith perseveres through suffering also by God's power. I'm gonna give you one example in our church. Think back over our 16-year history. Now, I can, I can give you plenty of times where torpedoes have hit the boat of this church, where curveballs have been thrown our way, when flawed people like me have been involved in making decisions that weren't the best, where you've got flawed and weak people. I could give you many examples of people that have suffered in this church, people that have struggled in their relationships, struggled with their jobs, struggled with their finances, struggled for their faith. But I wanna give you a real profound one because this is one that, uh, when this happened earlier in my Christian life, it really rocked me, but we had it happen in our church. One of the early founders of our church was a man by the name of Scott Alexander. Most of you don't know Scott Alexander. 
But he was among those people who, when we wanted to start a new church, was helping us believe God for something that did not yet exist. One day, Scott Alexander, he was a great singer, great music guy, really passionate about the poor and the needy and the marginalized in the city. And one day, Scott was diagnosed with a, uh, a deadly form of cancer. I remember going over to uh, the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa and visiting with Scott. I remember gathering with people in homes where we would pray for him and lay hands on him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. I remember Scott weeping and praying for God to heal him. I remember Scott thinking about his children claiming God's covenant promises that we always read when there's a baptism, claiming God's covenant promises for his children. And he just remained so faithful. I remember one time we had a meeting with a guy who had, who had lost a significant amount of income and was, was requesting help from our church. Scott came along with me. He could barely work, walk. He was all bandaged up. And it was so powerful for this, for this guy. But Scott could tell me, Mike, our church can give money to this needy guy. It's a legit situation. But Scott spent so much time with the poor and the marginalized, and we prayed for him. But you know what? Sometimes the healing doesn't come until the restoration. It doesn't come until then. Sometimes the healing might come sooner, but sometimes it awaits the restoration. And it's really good for you to know that. My mom died of cancer. My dad died at the age of 61. There are things that happen that are hard and that are beyond our control. But Scott left his imprint on Lake Baldwin Church. Scott is one who persevered through suffering by God's power because he lived by faith, because he believed the Bible. And I still remember the time uh, Mike Michelson and I had, were with Scott the night that he went to be with the Lord. And we really believed that he went into the presence of Jesus when he died. That's not just, we're not just making that up. I mean, that's not just us. That's what the Bible teaches. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the resurrection. So we were there that night, and I remember uh, Mike Michelson and I were there to pray with Scott and to be with him. And I, I mentioned Scott just really had a heart for the poor. And so Mike Michelson leaned over to listen to the last words of Scott Alexander. And Scott pulled him down and Mike listened to his words. And Scott said in Mike's ear, remember the poor. Remember the poor. Now I can't believe that kind of faith. I just cannot believe that. But it was so powerful for us. So I could go on and on about this topic, about how by faith we persevere through suffering by God's power. But that's our last point, our second point in this message. Now, I'm gonna land the plane in just a minute, but I want you to remember those two things. Because as you look at the future of Lake Baldwin Church, you need to fasten your seatbelts because as we continue to pray, as we continue to trust God, creative faith is one of our values, we will trust God for great victories through God's power as he answers prayer. This church is always gonna be looking to the future and trusting God for things, but I wanna tell you right now that it's beyond our control, but there will be more torpedoes to hit our boat. There will be more curveballs. There will be people who will suffer. We don't know what it's going to be, and that is why this passage prepares us for that. So as you look at the next year, 2022, somebody's saying, well, you know, last year was hard enough. And then the year, the year before that was hard enough. You know, we, 
we did all kinds of changes and all kinds of challenges and COVID, and we have been tested as a church. But I want to let you know that we don't know that everything is going to be ideal. <clears throat> we don't believe in a paradise now theology, so expect, do not be surprised. When it happens, we will not be glib about it. When Scott Alexander died, I wept at his memorial service, and we were so sad about that. When we lose our jobs, hard things happen. We weep with those who weep. But I just want to prepare you because our faith needs to be in the right things. And so I close with this thought. This is my conclusion. We began by saying that we want to love God's story and find our place in it. That's what we want all the kids to do, and that's what we want all the adults to do in this church to love God's story and to find our place in it. Well, what is God's story? Look at the last two verses. Look at this, this is the punchline. This is, if this is a volleyball game, this is the spike. If this is a boxing match, this is the haymaker. Verses 39 and 40. It says, what is God's story? Look at this, verse 39. All these, though commended through their faith. So one of the things to remember, what is God's story? God's story is a story of God commending people solely on the basis of faith in Christ. In other words, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how successful you are, how righteous you are, how great you are, whether you're Mickey Mantle or whatever you are, what God looks at is he looks at your faith. And all of you in this room can trust in God and believe God. So in God's story, you are commended for your faith. Nurture it, grow it, live it. Number two thing about God's story is that God's story is a story of promise. It is a story of promise because we've been walking through this monument park, but there's one more monument to one who wasn't flawed. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you look at, verse, at the end of verse 39, that they did not yet receive what was promised. In other words, all these Old Testament saints in the hall of faith of Hebrews 11 they had good things happen, but they didn't receive what was promised because they were looking to the day when Christ would come. And now Christ has come, and they look forward to that, and we look back on that, and Christ himself is the fulfillment of the promise. Scott Alexander knew it. The Chinese Christians know it. The Algerian Christians know it. This is a story of promise, and Jesus Christ is the hero of, that is promised in that story. And then look at verse 40, a third thing about this story. Since God had provided something better for us, what is the better? That's Christ himself, that's what Hebrews is all about, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So the third part of God's story is that there is one people of God, Old Testament believers, New Testament believers, you and me, there is one people of God that is known as the church and that is a significant part of God's story as well. How will you make it? Children, Parents in this room, how will you make it through 2022? You will make it because you trust in the story and because you realize that God will not, God's love for you will not change. When I was five years old, again living in Dallas, Texas, when I was five years old, I got in a fight on the playground with a kid who was seven years old. I don't even know what the disagreement is all about. But by the time that fight was going on, that kid was on top of me and he was just pounding me and pounding me. I'm just a five-year-old kid. The seven-year-old kid is just pounding on me. And right at the last minute, right at the last minute, this big man came up behind 
this seven-year-old guy that was pounding me and he gently lifted him off of me and he rescued me. Well, that big man was my dad. That big man apparently had been up on the second floor apartment aware of what was going on. That was a man whose love for me would never change and he watched what was going on, but his love would never change. You know, I've realized since that moment that I can trust, you know, my dad was flawed, but you and I have a heavenly father who is watching our lives right now and his love never changes. And there was a day, there was a time when our heavenly father, when God himself didn't just look down from the window, but he came down in the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, Emmanuel in Christ, and he came down and he didn't just kind of pull the bad guys off of us, but he won the victory at the cross. He won the victory at the resurrection. He defeated evil in this battle of good and evil. And he is the one that we trust, not only for our salvation, but for 2022 and for all of our lives. What a great story. What a great story. Better than the Australian Open. Better than anything else happening in the news. Better than anything else you and I can achieve. This story, Christ is our hero Will you trust him? Let's pray together. Lord, what a story. What, a, what an amazing, amazing story that we get to be a part of in this room. Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us to be a praying church, trusting you for great things like other churches in this city and other churches around the world. Would you enable us, would you give us faith that would win victories by your power as a church in the coming year. But oh Lord, for those that are struggling, for those that are suffering, would you give them a faith that perseveres through the power that only you can give. Lord, let us fall in love with your story, let us love, let us sing, let us wonder at this great story and this great rescue of you coming down from heaven for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.